Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, brought to you today by Josh Edison and Dr. M. Denton. Hello and welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. Conspiracy? I'm going to be making statements as questions. You're going to talk like a New Zealander? But even more so? How can you speak even more so than a New Zealander? I don't know, because I, Josh Edison, am a New Zealander, as is Dr. M. Rx Dentith. Although sometimes I do live in Romania. That's, that's true. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the New Zealand accent no, is known say, for the rising that's terminal. That's true. That's true. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. That's pretty true, eh? But um, Blue on the pie. Mm. But that's a that, that that's an accent thing. But um, we're world leading. sexiest world accent. sexiest accent. I don't, South Africa was second though. Sorry to our South African listeners, but you do not have a sexy accent. No, no, I'm I'm sorry. You you really don't. I mean, there are a couple of South African accents, of course. There's sort of there's kind of the English one, and then there's the Africana one. And then there's one that Kevin Klein did in that film, Escape. I can't Escape from something, where he played the South African photographer who helped black South Africans escape South Africa, and attempts one of the world's worst. Afrikaans accents. It's oh. amazing. We could not butcher the Afrikaans accent the way that Kevin Klein no. butchered that accent. So this is why you come to the podcast as guide to the accent talk. It's well, yeah, not that. No. It's the pop culture stuff mm. which really mm. brings you back mm. week after week after week and winnows down our audience to a very select base mm. of people who probably should be giving us more patron money, shouldn't they, Josh? They should. See, that was a statement that I phrased it as a question. There is a reason why we're going to be saying statements, but but appending a question mark to the end. Really? It will it will become relevant when we get to the main topic. Maybe we should just leave that as a as a tantalising mm. hint of what might lie ahead. What um, might lie ahead? What might lie ahead? Should we do the news? That was an actual question. Yes, we shall. Yes, we shall. Breaking, breaking conspiracy theories in the news. In local and also stupid news, like the story about the satanic horse stabber in small town Aotearoa earlier this year, we have another occult story. This time it's about an Auckland couple who discovered, when they replaced their carpets, apparent satanic symbols on their floorboards. Said symbols are a, and I quote, ritual circle, which is literally a circle, and something which looks like a five-pointed star enclosed in a circle. And as one of the occupants of the house said, there's no weird feeling or vibes or things like that. It's just a normal family home with strange drawings on the floor we never knew about. As to why they think the symbols are occultic in nature, well, I believe there is something occult about it because we've all read or seen movies with those items described, but I haven't had a chance to explore. A quality news article from one of the country's only leading newspapers. I think you're a little uncharitable there. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's evidence of some sort of satanic cult. It's probably just evidence of goths. But like, it's not, it's not like, it's, it's not like Celtic New Zealand where they're in, uh, interpreting random squiggles as satanic symbols. It's a very clear pentagram, pentacle. What do you call it when it's a five-pointed star inside a pentagram rather than a five-pointed star inside a circle? Because it's one of those, anyway. It is indeed, correct. Mm. Uh, I'm sure one of our listeners who's yes. actually au fait with the occult mm. will be able to correct Josh as to what a pentacle versus a pentagram is. Indeed. I'm just focused on the 
We've all read or seen movies with those items described, but I haven't had a chance to explore, along with there are no funny feelings about the house. Well, yes, it's not a advice. news story. Uh, it's interesting. I don't know. I, I personally know people who have put um, weird things on the floor uh, before they laid down carpet just to mess with the people. I removed a yeah. mirror from a house once, drew things behind and then put the mirror back on the wall. Well, there you go. So it could be exactly that sort of thing. Three people died of a heart attack because of that. Yeah. And frankly, if I if I'd played that sort of a jape, I would want to see it in the newspapers. I'd feel... I'd feel like my life had, had had some sort of I mean, meaning. You've, you've done a lot happened. of house renovations. Have you ever been tempted to ah. to put things behind floorboards or leave suspicious Blair Witch Project style stuff between skirting boards? It's such a pain in the ass that I haven't really had time for that. I should. I acknowledge that I should do that sort of thing. I mean, you've been putting I've on a roof in your it. laundry recently. Surely you should have been putting something up there, well, like one of your children. Well, yeah, I don't know. There's time yet. We're not done. But anyway, anyway. 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 You're probably all very aware that Facebook and its subsidiary Instagram, that's right, Facebook owns Instagram. Um, have, and WhatsApp. Mm, have banned some notable people of late. Paul Joseph Watson, Louis Farrakhan, Alex Jones. Which is the second time he's been banned. The word banned doesn't seem to mean what it used to mean. Indeed. Uh, and Laura Loomer. Loomer, a former Rebel Media reporter and someone who worked with James O'Keefe. James O'Keefe, that's the name I can never remember every time we mention Jason, Jacob Wall and I say, who is that? other guy who did and stupid was, stuff and it's always I couldn't yeah. recall whether we mentioned that on the main episode or the bonus episode uh, otherwise I was going to make that point in the news indeed. item it's not and the now first you've time. made it for me. It's not the first time I got there. Anyway, James O'Keefe, a name I shall never forget from now on. Uh, he, she worked with him on Project Veritas. Whose stated mission was, and I quote, to investigate and expose corruption, dishonesty, self-dealing, waste, fraud, and other misconduct in both public and private institutions in order to achieve a more ethical and transparent society. In short, expose liberals for the socialist scum that they are. Anyway, Luma, who protested her loss of a Twitter account by chaining herself to the door of Twitter HQ for several hours, uh, when it got too cold, she had to beg for her shekels to be cut free. This is true. Her shekels, rather, not her shekels. I assume she wanted to hang on to them in case she was <laughs> wanting to, <laughs> to buy, buy stuff from Israel. I don't know. That's not. Is that even currency anymore? I, I think. Know. I think it's ancient mm. currency. There we go. Uh, she had to beg to be set free. Um, she's also lost her Facebook and Instagram accounts um, for, for example, advocating that the Santa Fe High School shooting was a false flag, uh, painting a conservative bomb maker as a member of Antifa and the like. Now, she recently appeared on an Alex Jones show and it went something like this. My life is ruined! Does anybody understand how ruined my life is? I'm sick of it! I don't want to listen to people tell me that I'm a conspiracy theorist! Understand. I just think you need to go with it. Now, we're not playing that clip to cast aspersions on Luma for her obvious distress. Throughout the 20-minute segment on the show, she is overall quite calm and measured in the discussion. Rather, it's the, the quite cold and calculating way Jones talks to her, as evidenced in that short snippet, saying that she just needs to go with the flow and accept that she's a conspiracy theorist. It's almost chilling how little Jones seems to care about the situation generally. I guess the advertising dollars on Infowars are still okay. And they must be, because they're still raking it in as far as anyone can, is concerned. I mean, mm. it does seem that for certain people, like, say, Milo Yiannopoulos, 
being deplatformed from social media really has destroyed his career. Mm. But Alex Jones didn't need social media. No, he had an empire before empire, social yeah. media existed mm. per se, and so he's been able to muddle on through whilst. Johnny come lately, to mix all of my metaphors, mm. having a much harder time of it as their social media access appears to be disappearing, which takes us to our next news item. Because Jones might be calm in the face of the storm, but we can't say that about his protege, one Paul Joseph Watson, who is now arguing for full communism now. Well, that seems to be the consequence, at least, of the argument he's putting forward, that social media access is a civil right, and the government should step in and regulate the corporations which run social media to enforce that right. Now, we here at the podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy are all for state regulation of all of the things, so we're glad to see even alt-writers are now admitting things could be better if the state stepped in and curtailed private interests. Although, I do suspect this isn't what Watson and company really want. They don't want full communism now. Rather, they want their identity as conservatives to be protected. Which is odd given their opposition generally to identity politics and the idea there should be safe special places for snowflakes say like themselves mm. well yes i don't I, I don't think um a measure of hypocrisy should be any sort of big surprise no coming from these people no but, and um, i mean there are legitimate issues to be had with a private corporation oh, like yeah. facebook tw uh, twitter instagram and the like having the ability to essentially control access to audiences although claiming that having social media is a civil right does seem like a fairly yeah. interesting extension of the notion of civil rights. It's not as if people have a right to a platform, which mm. is essentially what Watson is arguing for. Yeah. I read an interesting article by Corey. Now, is it Dr. Al or Dr. Of? Dr. Al, I Dr. think. Dr. Al. Um, called uh, Steering with the Windscreen Wipers. I stood it recently. We... That doesn't sound very useful for steering a car. Exactly, but it's a metaphor. A metaphor um, for what? And that basically uh, antitrust um, regulation kind of got gutted in the 80s under Reagan, which would be the tool you'd want to use to take down these sort of monopolies like your Googles and your Facebooks. Um, and because the, the government no longer has that tool, they're fiddling around the edges with other things, but it doesn't have any effect because they're, they're the things they're fiddling with aren't designed to do what they wanted to do. So it's like steering a car with your windscreen wipers. Are you talking about the inadvertent effects of capitalism from the 80s? Uh, a, a little bit. Good. Good, keep that up. Mm. I like it. I like it a lot. Anyway, here on the podcaster's guide to communism now. Um, full com communism. We don't want any half-hearted communism. We want full communism. And where do we want it? Now? Good. Right. Full co I don't know. I want the full communism. Sounds a little <laughs> bit like some sort of oddly specific sex act. Or, <laughs> or, or a really, really boring meal for brunch. Mm. I'll have the full communism. The full communism, please. So that'll just be... Beans, more and beans, a potato. and a potato uncooked. Yes, I want the mm. full communism, and I want it now. Right. Well, let us continue communistically. Which means the beans will be cold. Well, obviously, cold, cold beans now. Mm. Uh, with, with communism ringing in our ears, we should carry on to the update section, I suppose. With no retractions. Updates. 
and retractions. Military whale update. My favourite kind of update. Mm. Last week we discussed the Russian military beluga whale found off the coast of Norway. Well, it seems said whale has defected. It's refusing to leave Norwegian waters and so has likely decided it no longer wants to be part of the Russian military complex. Either that, or it's now a dangerous underwater double agent. Whatever the case, we'll keep you updated on military whale news while it's still hot. And hot it is. Mm. Defecting whales Defecting from Russia. Whales. Are we going to expect some kind of poisoning attempt in Norway? I assume, but a bit of polonium in the off the coast of Norway. Would be an absolute disaster. Yes. Communism. Mm. A Jacob Wall update. Last week, we brought you the news about the latest Wall-based smear campaign, where he and one Jack Berkman tried to fabricate sexual molestation charges. Well, this week, Wall is at it again. A planned protest of a Wall-Berkman press conference turned out to be organised by... Jacob Wall! Yes, the event bright page of the event, the protest against homophobic bigots, listed as a contact address an email Wall had used previously to run a petition against Ilan Omar. Now, you might think, well, that's conveniently stupid, must be a false flag, but given Wall's other acts of gross negligence and stupidity, this really is par for the course when it comes to Jacob Wall and his inability to organise a conspiracy with even one other person. He really just does seem to be heroically incompetent, that guy. Yeah, it's kind of marvellous, isn't it? It is a little bit. Unfortunately, he's just still, he still keeps getting airtime somehow. Much like James O'Keefe, a man whose name I've never, ever forgotten in my life. <laughs> it's true. You're always mm. talking about always James O'Keefe. Always talking about him and remembering James his O'Keefe, name exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what was the thing they were investigating with Project Ver- Veritas? Uh, that was the, the sexual, uh, supposed sexual assault things against Robert Mueller, trying to discredit the, the investigation there. Are you sure about that? No. Good. <laughs> Was it when they were investigating Acorn? I don't know. I'm James O'Keefe, that's the name I remember. Don't ask me about your Project Veritas. And, and fecal, I'd about to say fecal matter <laughs> produced by Planned Parenthood, but I actually meant to say fetal matter produced by... Oh, the fetal by, matter yeah. one. Right. So what did they call the Muller sexual assault smear? Did they not have a cool, cool code name? Wasn't that... Wasn't the... The... Muller thing, actually Jacob Wall? Yes. You know nothing, John Snow. I know there's a you man called nothing. James O'Keefe. That's all. I, that's the only thing I know now. I, well, I can't remember my children's names anymore, but James O'Keefe will live forever gosh, in my mind. Your children's names are James and, and O'Keefe. O'Keefe. Well, it all works then. Okay. Uh, before we go any further down this dark alley, perhaps we should go to the main topic. The main topic? The main topic? Let's jump in a chariot and storm right on through like the gods? Hmm. That, that didn't work. That worked a little bit. Now, see, I do feel I should start with... Yep, that'll do. You got all your Stargate out of you a couple of episodes ago. Builds up. That like, does. Like mm. a like a, a pustule which has to be released every so often with the lancet of Eric von Daniken. 
Near enough. Yes, Eric von Deneken. So we did uh, a month or so ago now, we were talking about your stargates and your so on and so forth, which was based on the bit of the old ancient alien hypothesis, the Anunnaki coming and giving us stargates and stuff like that. But um, we mentioned Eric von Deneken at the time, and at the time said, you know, we've never really devoted a whole episode to Eric von Deneken. And then we said, we probably should devote an episode to Eric von Deneken. And so today, we're devoting an episode to Eric von Deneken. <laughs> Will you just keep making that noise as long as I keep talking? If I stop, will you say something instead? Basically, the resumption of the phenomena, which is a really, really old reference by Mm. by podcast things. Now, whenever we talk about ancient aliens, I will do that all episode long unless you stop I assume you're actually always doing it and you're here at all times, and it's just sometimes you let it out. Sometimes, like a bagpipe, I get the pressure around the stomach, and it just blurts out. Mm. And when you say Eric Von Daniken, I feel this kind of pressure around my vital organs that forces out a... You probably want to get that looked at, but not now, because now what we're looking at is Eric Von Daniken, who of course was made famous in in the late 1960s with his book, Chariots of the Gods? With a quite deliberate question mm. mark that we'll get to We'll get to that question later on. Mark, now, but we will be referring to it by chucking in a, um, uh, a completely unnecessary, gratuitous is the word I'm looking for, gratuitous question marks all over the place. All over the place. Now tell mm. me, Josh, who is Eric von Däniken? Well, Eric von Däniken, he's a man. A man with a book, a book called Chariots of the Gods. Where's he from? Um, he's from, I assume, Germany. Actually, I didn't even bother Swiss looking at German. Swiss German. Oh, there we go. With a name like von Däniken. Um, so he's he's been he's been at it since the 1960s, but it's still going strong today. And indeed, the um, uh, so the book is it's now 50 years old, isn't it? Because it, it actually first, got mm. a anniversary edition. Late last year, beginning mm, of this year. I'm a little bit hazy on timeframes at the moment. Been doing a lot of writing and thus basically the only thing I understand are my own deadlines and not calendar time. But there was a 50th anniversary edition of Chariots of the Gods, lacking a question mm, mark, that mm. came out very recently. And Von Denneken's written a lot oh, of he books. In fact, let's, let's go through these books I'll say one, you okay. say yeah, the yep. other. Yep. Just to get an idea of, and there's one we will probably end up stopping on and go, huh? Uh, to get an idea of the kind of genre Eric von Däniken works in. So I'll start, Chariot of the Gods? Return to the Stars. Gods from outer space. The gold of the gods. Miracles of the gods, a hard look at the supernatural. In search of ancient gods, my pictorial evidence for the impossible. According to the evidence. Signs of the gods. The stones of Kiribati, pathways to the gods. The gods and their grand design, the eighth wonder of the world. The eyes of the Sphinx, the newest evidence of extraterrestrial contact. The return of the gods, evidence of extraterrestrial visitations. Arrival of the gods, revealing the alien landing sites of Nazca. The gods were astronauts, evidence of the true identities of the old quote-unquote gods. Odyssey of the gods, an alien history of ancient Greece. History is wrong. Evidence of the gods. Twilight of the gods, the Mayan calendar, and the return of the extraterrestrials. Ptolemy and the planet of lies. Is that one of his? Did he, did he write a kid's book or something? He wrote a fiction book based upon his supposedly non-fiction work. Right. If you go to Amazon or Goodreads and look up reviews of Ptolemy and the planet of lies, 
Even Eric Von Däniken's staunchest fans recommend he never write a piece of fiction ever again. Even true believers find this book to be an embarrassment because it's so badly written. Mm. And yet it wasn't enough to put him off writing uh, altogether because after that there were still Remnants of the Gods, a visual tour of alien influence in Egypt, Spain, France, Turkey and Italy and... The Gods Never Left Us. And I should say these ones, uh, so Chariots of the Gods, it's down here as 1969, I, I had it as 1968, but at any rate, he does one book every sort of two or three years from the late 60s to the mid 80s, takes a bit of a break, picks up again in 1996 and has again been putting out uh, a book every two or three years up until um, just a few years ago. Indeed, so, Evidence of the Gods and Twilight of the Gods both, both came out yeah. in the same year. I'm not sure what the deal was there, but... Um, I wouldn't be surprised if large sections of both books are exactly the same, mm. or it's the one book which has been cut in twain. Indeed. He does repeat himself a lot. So he's been at it for a long time, is the point. Um, and you'll note he's really into the gods, the gods. and the extraterrestrials. Mm. So perhaps we should let him speak for himself here uh, when it comes to spelling out exactly what he thinks and what all his books are about. If you go to his website, www.danikin.com, um, on the home page, he has this, this summary of his beliefs. This is what happened. Extraterrestrials visited our Earth many millennia Actually, ago. Can I stop you? I'm going to do the Stargate do the theme over, over, over the top. Okay. Is it over the, it over the top? I'm sure you are. Under the okay. Shall, Shall I start again? Yeah. Okay. This is what happened. Extraterrestrials visited our Earth many millennia ago. They behaved similar to how current ethnologists behave today. They studied a few languages, visited different tribes, gave suggestions, and disappeared sometime, however, with the promise to return in the distant future. Our Stone Age ancestors could not grasp what happened back then. They wrongfully believed that the extraterrestrials were gods. The supposed gods then wandered into our mythology and became the founders of many religions. And he then sort of goes on to talk about how he's been studying this for the last 65 years. In fact, he says my work is now present in 40 volumes. So I yeah, assume so there not are the other things he's contributed to. Yeah. Introductions to other books and reviews of other books and chapters in other books. And presumably a whole parallel reality, which is just filled with Eric Von Dannegans. Mm. And he sort of goes on to talk about uh, a little bit of how sort of science, science isn't willing to believe the things. They're, they're not picking up what he's putting down. They're not buying what he's selling. Um, but that's just because they're they're not ready to deal with it all. Uh, but they're going to be coming back. The gods will return, and the, oh, and then finally he runs it out. Then we will experience the god shock, which again sounds like some sort of obscure sexual practice, or or one of those Norwegian death metal bands. Mm, god, mm, god shock. Yes. We are um, god shock. So anyway. So that's so he he started in the early sixty eights with it with with a, a title with a question mark at the end of it, but um, I think the question mark metaphorically disappeared fairly quickly, and he seems yeah, to so have been not dissuaded. Now I'll quite happily admit, as a teenager, I read a lot of Eric von Däniken, not because I was a believer in the ancient astronaut hypothesis. I simply found the kind of genre of ancient astronaut hypotheses to be quite fascinating because of the way it used evidence and also was actually quite interesting for finding out little historical bits mm. and pieces you didn't find out, out elsewhere. And I remember reading, I think, Evidence of the Gods, no, sorry, Gold of the Gods, which I had in a hardback, which had colour plates in the middle. And one of the colour plates is of 
Azteca or Mayan art, which Von Däniken says this is clearly a circuit diagram. And my father, being an electrician, I showed this to him. And he pointed out it's obviously not an electronic diagram because nothing in the pictorial art is connected up. So things that might be resistors or LEDs or whatever you want to have it wouldn't work because they're not connected to anything whatsoever. So his grasp on evidence is always a little interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we'll look at evidence in a little in, in a minute. Um, that should be said to begin with, though. He didn't. He didn't invent the ancient alien hypothesis. Although in fact, he's probably he done may the not best even have to, done um, any original work well, in the alien hypothesis. No. He, stuff. He, he certainly was has done the most to um, uh, promote it to get the theory out there. He's got the most attention, I would say. But. Um, yeah, so his Chariots of the Gods was published in 1968. In 1963, there was a book called 100,000 Years of Man's Unknown History by Robert Cheru um, and Mr. or I, I assume um, Monsieur Cheru accused von Däniken of copying him. Von Däniken then said, well, actually, we probably both copied the 1960 book, The Morning of the Magicians by Louis Poel and Jacques Bergier, which we'll talk about a little bit later as well. Which so, is a fairly interesting defense against mm. plagiarism, which is for your claiming, I plagiarized you, but we both know we plagiarized a, another third source mm. now, don't we? And what's interesting about this is that both Robert and Eric settled and agreed to cross-promote each other's material. Also, subsequent editions of Chariots of the Gods also now credit Robert Cheru and uh, Powell's and as reference texts in the book. Mm. So von Däniken at least admitted that the ideas had common currency, but what's more interesting is that Chirou and von Däniken went, we can uh, come to some kind of accord mm. now, can't we? A gentleman's agreement about ancient astronauts. Reminds me when someone... Uh, wrote into the letters page of the comic Preacher and said, hey, Garth Ennis, the way you know how Jesse Custer's always talking to an imaginary um, John Wayne, didn't you just rip that off from True Romance where Quentin Tarantino had Christian Slater's character talking to an imaginary Elvis? And Garth Ennis was like, I, I, I'm pretty sure he, he ripped off the same thing that we both ripped off the same thing. It's a thing writers do, I suppose. But there seems to... Um, whereas that's one here. point of Preacher. Well, no, but, and also... That's what we call fiction. Well, it is fictional. I mean, so this is the it's one of the fascinating things when we look at the Da Vinci Code and the way that the authors of Holy Blood, Holy Grail tried to sue Dan Brown for plagiarism. And as people pointed out, if Holy Blood, Holy Grail is a work of history, then it's quite appropriate that an author who uses history as a source for their fiction can take historical events and then fictionalize them. You can really only accuse Dan Brown of plagiarizing Holy Blood, Holy Grail, if you're also making the claim that your book is fictional too, at which point you can make some claim about ownership of the story. Mm. So in the same respect, you know, it's... Fiction writers will borrow ideas from other places, but when you're meant to be producing history, it's a slightly trickier situation. Mm. And also it's been pointed out that in 1966, Carl Sagan and I.S. Shklovsky, I'm afraid I don't know who he is, but 
Uh, they wrote, uh, uh, in one of their books, they wrote about the possibility, uh, or rather in the context of talking about the possibility of alien life existing elsewhere in the galaxy, apparently they sort of mentioned the idea that, you know, they could have visited Earth back when we were cavemen and we wouldn't have known what to make of it then. Um, so it, it kind of sounds like one of those things about an idea whose time had come. A bunch of people were talking mm, about it and yeah. he was the one who managed to really capture the public's imagination. Well, I mean, when you think about it, the 60s is the great period of time where people the start The expanding talking. of minds. Yeah, and, but also talking about life outside the Earth, mm. missions outside of Earth using spaceships, yep. using astronauts to investigate things. And then the obvious question, well, if we're going out into space to explore, have people come to us in the past? Mm. At which point, seems reasonable to say, well, let's see if there's any evidence of that. And that's precisely the kind of thing that these authors we're talking about Engage in, which is why it's chariots of the gods. Initially, at least, yes. Yeah, because it is putting forward the hypothesis that maybe the stories of our ancient gods and our mythology is kind of a misremembered past when people from other planets came to visit us. And we weren't able to interpret that as people from other planets because we had no notion of that. So we re-encoded those stories and the miracles they performed, apparent miracles, as being the actions of our gods. Although, as we'll come to later on in this episode, only some of those stories are about gods being aliens. It turns out if you're a particular kind of white person, uh, you don't tend to have ancient astronauts in your prehistory. Mm. Mm. But yes, you, you mentioned evidence, so we should probably look at it. We've got Eric von Daniken, he's putting forward the hypothesis, um, the, the, the idea of what they call paleocontact, that in our prehistory, um, alien beings came to Earth, imparted alien wisdom on our prehistoric forebears, um, and the stories of these visitations has got, got encoded as sort of myths and legends of gods. So how does he try to go about proving this hypothesis? Through archaeological evidence, yeah. Joshua. Let me tell you about some of his evidence. Please so, do. We're both from the region of the world known as Pol Pol Polynesia. Yeah. You'll be aware of a set of islands known to Europeans as the Easter Islands, and you'll be aware that the, these giant stone hens. Mm. Stone hens? Stone hens. Stone hens. St I, so I'm mixing up saying stone, stone heads and stone, stone hens at yes. the same time. Mm. And now I'm, of course, thinking of that great song from Spinal Tap about Stonehenge and the, the tiny stone the hens they make and, time, and the yes. dwarf right around it. And now I'm thinking about that Norwegian comedy song, Why Did They Build Stonehenge? Which is actually one of the greatest comedy songs of all time. And you should definitely look up Why Did They Build Stonehenge on YouTube. It's a app absolute treat. Anyway, so you'll be aware that these moai, the stone yep. hens or heads of Easter Island, are fairly famous. And of course, for a long period of time, they were famous because no one knew why they were built and no one could understand why they were quarried out of one part of the island and then moved to another. And so more to the point, how? 
how we didn't understand. Through massive mm. deforestation, or actually, as people walk, they're actually walking them, literally yes, walking yeah. them with ropes, so that they're actually fairly easy to, to move. In much the same way you'll sort of wiggle a refrigerator into space just by... Into space? In, into a space, into the no, space. No, I just like the idea that you're wiggling yes, refrigerators, I'm wiggling refrigerators into, space. into space, the world's slowest and space program. And they say program. we don't have a space program mm. in this country, or is Josh is just wiggling wiggle, refrigerators? Wiggle-based space program. Um, yes. So, actually, so basically, they got there mm, by aliens, yeah, and so also that's they're the there because of aliens. And what do they represent, Joshua? Aliens. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so th th there's a lot of this. There are um, sort of ancient megastructures like the Moai of Easter Island, like the Great Pyramid of Giza, like other Great Pyramids. Indeed, I believe some of the ones in, in Central America are even bigger than the ones in Egypt. Some of the Mayan ones. Um, he talks about the Nazca lines. He talks about the Iron Pillar of Delhi. Well, he did for a while. He, for a while, he talked yeah. about the Iron Pillar of Delhi. The pillar that never rusts. Mm. And it's uh, as an example of something that we, you know, we, we don't know how this thing was made, and therefore the knowledge uh, of how to make it must have been given to us by aliens, and we've since forgotten it because we never really understood it in the first place. And unfortunately... In pretty much all of these cases, the claims that he's making about what we know about these things are just plain wrong. Yes. He'll say things like, we don't know who made the Great Pyramid of Giza. We don't know where the workers were, what they did. And it's like, no, no, we know exactly where they were. We found the ruins of the settlements where the workers who worked on the pyramids lived. We, we also do know how they did it. We, we actually, you know, there, there has been a lot of work done. And we we know also know why they did it. Mm. They're big, big tombs. Mm. Big, big tombs. I mean, that was the thing about Egyptian culture. Egyptians believed that because life was ephemeral and the afterlife was forever, you built your cities and things basically out of wood because they were temporary structures, and because only certain people actually went to Egyptian heaven, no, notably the rich and the powerful, you built their last respites, their homes and death, out of stone, so they would in fact last forever and ever, and nothing seems to last quite as long as a pyramid. A giant stone pyramid, yeah. yes. Um, and indeed the Iron Pillar of Delhi, it's it's I mean, it's basically it's a, a feat of metallurgy, I suppose. It's to do with the chemical composition. It's got phosphorus or something mixed in with the iron, which causes a thin layer on the outside. That which basically rust. is a layer of oxidization which mm. protects it from rusting. Yeah, and although apparently it does, it has rusted just a little bit anyway. But So a lot of that stuff is... Him, him making concrete claims about we do or don't what we do or don't know, and those claims are just plain wrong. Then you get into the the more interpretive side of things, like light bulbs in Egypt. Light bulbs in Egypt, yes, and uh, spacemen on the cover of on the cover of on the seal, the lids of uh, Mayan sarcophagi. Um, so. One of the things he points out, the one thing I remember from Chariots of the Gods, no, sorry, two things I remember from Chariots of the Gods. One is... Sorry, of, Chariots of the Chariots Gods. Chariots of the Gods. Um, it, it's getting to be like, you know, in, you know, in the Outcast song with Jackson, where it's forever, forever, ever, forever, ever. I can't hear the lyric forever, ever without cocking my head to one side. And um, I, I can't say Chariots of the Gods without the same thing happening now. I'm afraid I'm going to do myself an injury. This is the real thing. Mm, mm. Don't, don't. Uh, so I remember um, a picture of, I can't even remember where the picture was from, of, of a figure 
with basically a big round circle around their head, a very sort of uh, primitive stylized figure, and that being obviously a picture of a person wearing a spacesuit. Um, and but the the main one and the one which, which sort of gets brought up a lot is the cover of the sarcophagus of Pakal from the Mayan city of Palenque, um, which is the one that he believes shows an astronaut sitting in a spaceship taking off. You have this man, this figure, sort of crouched seemingly with his hands at some sorts of controls, with sort of a mechanism below him that appears to have flames coming out the bottom and some sort of structure above him. And he basically looks at that and says that's clearly a depiction um, of a spaceship by people who didn't know what a spaceship was. Now, the problem with this is that, A, making interpretations from ancient art without the con context under which the art was made is always a fool's errand. But also, there's a particular problem with this particular image in that it's not an image on its own. No. It's part of a sequence of images showing the person in question being devoured. So you get basically stage one, stage two, I think there are five images in the sequence, and von Däniken kind of centers himself on the middle one that looks the most like someone in a spaceship, ignoring the before and after shots, effectively, mm. that show, no, the context of the image is quite different. Mm. And the people who know anything about Mayan iconography will say, well, no, those things coming out the bottom, those are serpent, those are bearded serpents, a common thing in Mayan things, though what appear to be flames are actually the beards of the serpents. That's a bird above. It's sort of showing his, um, showing him being caught between sort of the underworld and the and the afterlife. Um, the the Daniken makes uh, von Daniken makes a point of the fact that his hands appear to be grasping these controls of the spaceship, and yet they point out, well, no, that's that's a hand symbol. I assume is sort of analogous to the various sort of two finger up things that you get in Christian iconography. Um, it's it's just you know it's a, a symbol you see the making, and indeed there are other figures in other parts of this phrase. Uh, that are making the exact same symbol, but their hands aren't anywhere near anything that look like spaceship controls. Well, obviously they're using the control interface from Minority Report. Mm, obvious. Well, yeah, good point. Maybe he was just a little bit behind his times. The Doesn't our have technology enough imagination to be mm, able to mm, think mm, that maybe mm. controls will be based upon using a really bad Kinect sensor for the Xbox. Yeah, so Did I mean, you ever use a Kinect on an, on an Xbox? Ah, uh, no. Great idea, terrible implementation. Yeah, well, terrible implementation for a, for a game console. I saw a really cool thing at the, the Auckland Museum one time, had this thing where it was like a big box of, you know that sort of kinetic sand stuff kids play oh, with? It was yeah, kind of yeah. like grey kinetic sand, and there was a projector above, and it was projecting images of little worms crawling around on the sand, and you could dig... Tunnel, dig, dig trails in the sand and the worms would follow the trails that you dug and it was really clever and I looked up and it was an Xbox Connect that was that was the, the mapping the surface of the thing and I was thought so that was so they could be quite clever but um, not as emotional why are we talking about the Xbox Connect? Minority Report Right, Minority that, Report that not quite Film? great, not quite terrible. Mm. Steven Spielberg, Thomas Thomas Cruise. I mean, I suppose he is Thomas Cruise. Probably, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so th there's th there's more of that stuff. There, I mean, we've all, I'm sure, read about the whole sort of UFOs and the Bible thing. But again, people familiar with with the iconography of the ages when those uh, paintings were made would say, well, no, this is a a common Christian symbol, you know, a common thing of divine light or stuff like that that's that, that, that's just a thing that you see it's not it, to us 
to us, without knowledge of the context, we sort of put, put our own interpretation on it, but that doesn't mean that's what it's a picture of, and that seems to be the general problem yeah, with the general evidence gist in this with, area. Um, you know, then you get things like using the pre, um, yeah, it rice. is pre rice, yeah, rice map from the 16th century. Mm. Sorry, 14th century, 1500s. 1500s yes. Yeah, 14th century. Um, no. No, 16th always, century, it's the yes. other way, yes. Oh, I always, I just, I always, that's why I, I say 1500s, because that, yeah, that's, that's a good way point. you know it really really Because I've just completely mm. fouled that up, person who lives in the 23rd century, like I do. Mm. As explained at the beginning of this episode, not coping well with calendar time, only deadline time at the moment. Mm. Uh, but no, the period rice map is a map, it's a Turkish map. Oh, it's one of them. Turkish map that apparently it's sort of a map of the known world. It was kind of combined, uh, compiled by some someone a from the map. from the Ottoman Empire, um, which supposedly shows things like the geography of Antarctica, Except which people couldn't have known about back then. And yes, no, apparently it doesn't. There was there was that whole idea of um, Terra Australis or something. The idea, people thought there was this giant southern continent, which was basically meant to be a counterweight to the continent on the mm. northern hemisphere because it was felt had to be balanced in the north and the south. So given that we knew about Europe, Eurasia and the like, and also Africa, we had, there had to be a counterweight in the southern part, which was going to be what is now known as Australia. That's where the name comes from. Mm. Uh, and so it was hypothesized and put on lots of maps. It's just yeah. that the claims that this map accurately shows things like Antarctica and the like, just doesn't Not actually, actually bear true. any investigation when you actually start looking at, well, the bits of the map which are correct. Once we go with that scape, no, actually, sorry, the, uh, there's also a land bridge there which doesn't exist and all sorts of other issues. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, that's that, that's the, the general tenor of the, the argumentation of Chariots of the Gods, but... Um, that's it's basically carried right through to his works to the present day, from what I can tell. I mean, things like the Iron Pillar of Delhi, where I think as early as the 70s, he was told, actually, no, we do know exactly how that was made. And he said, yeah, no, I don't believe that was made by extraterrestrials anymore. So he'll drop things if they're proven to be untrue, but then he just picks up other ones and just seems to be carrying on with the same line. Now, what's interesting is that von Daniken would appear to be a fairly committed Christian. So he's a firm believer in the old story of one Jesus Christ. And it's quite fascinating that Jesus Christ is not an alien god. Or is he? According to von Däniken, no, he's not. Oh, that's a shame. I mean, it would be, be more fantastical if it was a God-told-me-to style scenario. Mm. A perfect Larry Cohen film. Have you seen God-told-me-to? God I have not. I mean, I don't want to spoil it for people who might go off and watch it. It's well worth watching. It's probably one of Larry Cohen's best films. And it's about a police detective who is investigating a series of random violent events in New York where the perpetrators, before they kill themselves, tell people that they've committed these atrocities because God told them to. And then it quickly turns into a kind of Illuminati conspiracy thriller and then it, it just goes weirder and weirder, mm. including a really, really weird sexual organ in a location you're not expecting it to be. 
Ooh la la. I know. This I gotta see. I'm a little disappointed in you, actually, to be honest. If you're talking about the idea of Jesus being an alien, the, the pop culture reference you didn't immediately leap for was Prince of Darkness by John Carpenter. Well, I, I was I was thinking of going to John Carpenter, although we have, we have touched upon, upon Prince of Darkness in the past. Mm, yes, yes, we have. But uh, and and then the, 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 there must be some way of linking that, of course, maybe via John Carpenter's um, in the mouth of madness to H.P. Lovecraft. Ah, yes. Tell me about H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. He's, he's a kind of source, I'm assuming it, for one's junk. I lo- the, and the H.P. The, the Lovecraft. H.P. Lovecraft sounds like a writer of Victorian erotica, doesn't it? It is also the name of a porn store in London. Oh, well, there you go. Um, so your people have claimed, we, we mentioned The Morning of the Magicians uh, up, up front as one of the books that von Däniken is known to have been influenced from and indeed appears to have, in some cases, sort of swiped things wholeheartedly from. Uh, the Morning of the Magicians, it's kind of a, I've, the full text of it's available on the internet and I had a quick flip through, but it's very, very sort of stream of consciousnessy, just sort of generally wide ranging discussion on occult stuff and alchemy and paranormal phenomena. And, do, um, do, 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 do. and there's a chapter called The Vanished Civilizations, which goes into the sort of idea of these things, things about the world that we don't understand and the idea that they could have been given to us by, by a, a visiting alien races. Um, and then people have said that the morning of the Magicians itself um, was influenced by Call of Cthulhu and other works of H.P. Lovecraft. And of course, Lovecraft, writing back in the 20s, did do a a good line in um, alien races having visited Earth in the past and and leaving behind weird civilizations and stuff like that. So basically, Eric von Däniken is H.P. Lovecraft. That's what I'm saying. Sometime listener of the show, Jason Colavito, either be nodding his head or shaking his head at this particular point in time, because he is the expert when it comes to ancient aliens and H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, well, there you go. He's written a book, you know, quite quite a long time ago, continues to publish very widely. And Jason, I'm really looking forward to your recaps on the next season of America Unearthed, something that we will need to talk about in the very near future, because I know you like geography, and I know you like forensics, but do you like forensic geology? I assume I would. Geology or geography? I meant to say geology the right. first time. Let's just pretend I did. Very well. Well, that's something to look forward to. And if it's, given that we're looking forward to subsequent episodes, I think that probably shows we're pretty much done with this episode, although we should probably touch on the racism. Yes, we mm. can't really talk about... H.P. Lovecraft or Eric von Däniken without talking about racism. And it's the kind of racism we've encountered before with the whole sort of Celtic New Zealand hypothesis and stuff. Which is basically... It's basically Eric von the Däniken hmm. is suspicious of any person of colour whose civilizational ancestry engaged in high art or the construction of monumental architecture because apparently people of colour just couldn't do that stuff in the past. But when it comes to Europe, the same kind of how did you do that doesn't seem to apply. Now on one level that might be because when a lot of this monumental architecture was being built, elsewhere in the world, Europeans were still living in mud huts. So maybe it just doesn't apply to those simple Europeans and their primitive cultures at the time. But it does seem to be more the case that Eric von Däniken seems to think that brown people in particular can't actually make pyramids. 
very simple structure when you think about it. Mm. Wide base, narrow top, structurally very sound. So, no, it must have been aliens. And indeed, he compares the likes of the pyramids to things like Stonehenge here as, um, as basically, we, we, know how we, um, we know how Stonehenge was made, and it was a lot of effort. So surely the pyramids, pyramids would have, have to yeah. been so much effort that no human beings could possibly do it if we white folks can barely stack one block on top of two other blocks. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's certainly, th th there's a lot of, I mean, I don't know, Partly it's because, when did white people start to exist? Like, when were there actual white people? As in the co the concept of whiteness. Yeah, because essentially you go A back... more recently yeah. than, say, white nationalists or white supremacists mm. think. Because you go, don't need to go back very far, and pretty much all people are non-white. Um, you know, so all, all of Africa, including Egypt, the ancient Greeks and Romans, they kind of get made honorary whites these days, don't they? But they yeah, I mean, there's, actually a whole, there's a whole literature mm. on the notion of, of the Irish and Italians in particular not being proper yeah. white people and people coming up with justifications. The whole idea of race science is actually a fairly recent invention, mm. truth be told. There's, I mean, there's some evidence that the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans denoted skin colour in individuals, but they didn't seem to then classify individuals by skin colour. They would do more interesting things like classifying them by temperament, and the temperamental stuff was often actually based upon where in the world they lived. So you came from a cold climate, you had cold climate-style behaviours, and not focusing on their skin is dark, but they come from this place, it's hot, hot people do these things, so our systemic prejudice will be based upon location, not colour. Mm. Yeah, so there's a lot there, and it's it's all, all complicated, wibbly-wobbly stuff, but um, when we're talking about Eric von Däniken, though, um, yeah, he just doesn't seem impressed by the accomplishments of people who's... And in part, more you have to think it's because of his Christianity. He doesn't want Jesus to be a space alien. Well, yes, that's got to be part of it, yeah. And so, basically, he, he doesn't want to ask the same questions of his own culture. He demands we ask about other cultures. Mm, mm. Which is probably a good way of, of, of leaving things, I suppose. It's his, he's a very in, influential... Can't, yep. can't still, deny he's a still widely influential person. Uh, makes the occasional guest appearance, I think, on Ancient He must Aliens be getting on in this. I mean, he's... If he was... How old is he now? He must be, what, About 9,000 years he's, old? Yeah. So, so good for him in that case. But, yeah, there's, there are certain uh, structural-slash-systemic flaws, I think, you can see park, in his reasoning. Did he? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, I remember Where reading about it in the 14 Times. And I think by the time the 14 Times article came out, it had closed down. Oh. So a theme park was built. I think now, this is, I'm going to actually check this because I have a feeling the Eric von Däniken theme park about ancient aliens got repurposed into, of all things, a creationist theme park. Uh, and it may have been rescued again subsequently. Yeah, you do, you do. So your... it's a, uh, it's one of those things where you vamp for a little while. Yes, on something I was going to say I you mentioned the, the fourteen talk. times. Um, Charles Fort, 
who I assume, was he the founder of the Fortean Times, or was it based He's on the, his... Well, so Fortiana is based upon the works of Charles Fort, the Books of the Damned. Right. The Fortean Society came out of that, and the Fortean Times is a product of the Fortean Society. Right. But I've anyway, been published in the Fortean Times. Ooh la la. Uh, Charles Fort, his, his name comes up as well, and he's mentioned in The Morning of the Magicians. Indeed, in the chapter, The Vanished Civilizations, where they talk about um, the Eric von Däniken stuff. So maybe I don't actually, I have to say, know an awful lot about the works of Charles Fort. Is he something we could base an episode on, or is he not so much conspiratorial as just sort of Kind weird? of. I mean, so Fort's hard to classify because Fort himself resisted systemization of thought. So Fort basically sat down at the British Library. He was an American living in London. And he would go through newspapers to find reports of anomalous events, and then he would simply write them up in kind of catalogues, so rains of frogs and other unusual rains, uh, visions of cities in the sky and things like that. And then he would just make up explanations, and some of these explanations would contradict other explanations he had made prior because he wasn't interested in resolving things. He was interested in cataloguing anomalies, and as he'd resisted any kind of systematization to try and make sense of these things, he delighted in the anomalistic nature of the research he engaged in. So, I mean, we could do an episode on Charles Fort, but it wouldn't be so much on conspiracy as it would be on, if you don't care about rules of evidence, or consistency, what kind of worldview do you develop? You develop a very Fortean one. Mm. And that's kind of unfair to Forteans today, because Forteans today do seem to be rather keen on trying to make sense of the world. It's just that Forteans, and I do consider myself to be a bit of a Fortean, delight in reading about anomalies and thinking about things which aren't easily explained by current current concepts of science. Well, right. there you go. Now, now yes, bef before we end this episode, tell me about the Von Däniken theme park. What have Jungfrau you found? Jungfrau Park. According to Wikipedia, it's an amusement park located near Interlaken in Switzerland. Now, it opened as the Mystery Park in 2003 and closed three year, la three year later. Mm. Three year later three years later, due to financial difficulties and low turnout, and the park was designed by Eric von Daniken, consisted of seven pavilions, each of which explored one of several great mysteries of the world, being the Nazca Lines, Cargo Colts, Stonehenge, the Mayan Calendar, the Great Pyramid of Giza, uh, the the mana, the flying palaces and chariots described in things like the Rig Veda, and spaceflight and Mars exploration. Uh, and it was controversial at the time because von Däniken, as is known, advocated the notion of ancient aliens influencing world history. And the mystery park was labelled at the time a cultural Chernobyl, uh, by the Swiss Academy of Science and Technology. Uh, and basically, yeah, low turnout meant that it kind of closed out. Mm. It turned out there wasn't a demand to go see an Eric von Däniken Park in a hard-to-get-to part of Switzerland, a country which itself is hard to get to at the best of times. Uh, and so, yeah, it had... It was expected to get about half a million guests per year, and at best only got around about 200,000. 
but it was reopened in 2009 by New Inspiration Incorporated, and it just reopens occasionally now from the looks of it, and there is no news about it being mm. turned into a creationist theme park that may well have just been scuttlebutt on the internet. Oh, well, there you go. So, I think that brings us to the end. So for our, our fabulous patrony backer types who patronise us and back us up with their patronage, um, we'll be going on to talk about things like Sonic the Hedgehog and Winston Peters fighting killer robots. Uh, but the rest of you, I think, can just go off and keep watching the skies. Or the skis. Ancient aliens coming back, because they're gonna, apparently. And they're gonna bring the takeaways we asked for. Mm. Been a long time coming, but that chicken tikka masala can be pretty cold. Mm. So, goodbye. Goodbye. You've been listening to the podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, starring Josh Addison and Dr. MRX Dented which is written, researched, recorded, and produced by Josh and M. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron via its Podbean or Patreon campaigns. And if you need to get in contact with either Josh or M, you can email them at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com or check their Twitter accounts, Mikey Fluids and Conspiracism. Remember, the truth is out there, but not quite where you think you left it.